0: Christ in you, the hope of glory, and that hope extends beyond this world, beyond this current, present world that we live in right now, on into eternity. And it's because of this hope that we're obedient to the Lord's command to go into all the world to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's because of this hope that we strive to bring forth fruit pertaining to the grace of God in truth, a grace that we not only heard about but we believe in and that we know. You're looking too far For that need you have inside
1: from God's
0: Word. Right as you find your seats, we're going to begin a study in the Epistle of Colossians. Little book, only four chapters long. As we begin our study, I, my plan is to break uh, each chapter into two teachings, and so it's four chapters long. I'm not sure about chapter four yet, but we'll be here at least seven to eight weeks looking at this epistle of Colossians. And now we find that he begins to speak about his thoughts toward them. He said, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving to God, he prayed for those who were in Colossae. Remember, he had only heard of their faith, but he's praying for them and I think this is really significant, and I want us to spend a few moments looking at that today, that he was praying for people that he'd never met before. Has anyone ever done that before? Have you ever prayed for someone you've never personally met before? You're praying for them, and I think it's effective prayer, and Paul explains a little bit of that to us here in these verses. Verses three, three and four, he says, we give thanks to, The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Since we heard of your faith, we began praying for you. And as I said, it's believed that Paul never personally visited this city, but he heard about them and he began praying for them. What did he hear? He heard that they had a love for all the saints and that blessed his heart. And he said, man, I'm going to commit to pray for these guys. I'm going to lift them up to the Lord. I had said earlier that it's believed that the church was founded as a result of his work in Ephesus. As he was parked in in Ephesus for two plus years, Acts 19.10 tells us. And this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. As Paul was equipping them in Ephesus, but they went forth for the work of ministry and the word of the Lord spread throughout Asia at that time, the then known world. And so in hearing of the faith in Jesus, their love for all the saints, though Paul had never been there, he lifted them up in prayers and thanksgiving toward God and his son, Jesus Christ. Paul's physical presence didn't prevent him from being actively involved in their lives. And likewise, we're not limited by the need of personal interaction in order to effectively pray for others we can effectively pray for others just hearing of the need of course the more knowledge we gain the easier it is to pray but sometimes you may only know the situation and not the person doesn't mean that you can't pray about that situation or maybe you only know the person and you don't know the situation they're going through doesn't mean that you can't pray for that person and lift them up to the lord All our knowledge combined is nothing in comparison to God's infinite knowledge. Therefore, we're able to lift up the needs of others, knowing that our Heavenly Father knows what's best to meet their every need. He speaks also of the hope in Colossae, verses 5 and 6. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it is also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is among you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God and truth. Several years ago, I remember telling a friend something like this. If our reward for following Jesus is only in this lifetime, it would be well worth it. It was an erroneous statement. I should have never made that statement because... Our hope is not in Christ in this life alone, but our hope is for the heavenly reward because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, because of the hope that we have in heaven. Now, what I was saying to my friend that the life that the Lord had given me, it was a good life, and I was very thankful for it, but there's so much more that awaits us on the other side of eternity. But once we get to heaven... Did we sing when we all get to heaven today? What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all get to heaven. I a picture my dad closing his eyes and singing that song. We'll sing and shout the victory. I was reading from 1 Corinthians 15 earlier before communion. In 1 Corinthians 15, 19, he says, If in this life only we hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiful. If it's only for this life, we're most pitiful people. And he says there in First Corinthians 15 that without the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, our faith would be empty if our preaching would also then be empty because there would be no faith whatsoever. We would be false witnesses testifying of a risen Savior who had not risen. It would make our faith futile and we'd still be in our sins. Moreover, those who have died believing in Jesus would have perished for all eternity. We would be the most pitiful people on the face of the earth if faith was only for this life. But thankfully, we're not the most pitiful people on the face of the earth, but the most blessed people because of Jesus. He has risen from the dead, and we have a hope that is laid up for us in heaven. Colossians 1.27 He says, to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that hope extends beyond this world, beyond this current present world that we live in right now on into eternity. And it's because of this hope that we're obedient to the Lord's command to go into all the world to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's because of this hope that we strive to bring forth fruit pertaining to the grace of God in truth, a grace that we not only heard about, but we believe in, and that we know, that we know. The Greek word is gnosko. It speaks about a knowledge, a learned knowledge you know. 1 Peter 1 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. We have a reservation that's been made for us. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ, through faith in that. It's an inheritance that now, Peter writes about there in 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4, he says it's an incorruptible, it's undefiled, it means that it won't be destroyed in any way, it's a guarantee, it will not fade away, it's reserved in heaven for you. That's a good reservation to have. So, when you go to the pearly gates, and Peter's standing there like we envision and hear all the time, and... He will say, do you have a reservation? And he said, say, well, yes, I do. Peter said I did. He said it's there somewhere. I'm sure my name's somewhere in there. <laughs> you have a reservation in heaven. Verses 7 8, the love of Colossae. Epaphras and his love for Colossae. First 7, as you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. So Epaphras, whom Paul called my fellow prisoner in Christ in Philemon 23, he's the one who brought the hope of the gospel to the people of Colossae. It's believed so. Later on, he calls Epaphras, our dear fellow servant here, a minister, faithful minister of Christ and Later on, he refers to them in chapter 4, refers to him again in verses 12 and 13, Epaphras, who is one of you. So he's one of them. He's from Colossae. He's a bondservant of Christ. He greets you. So he was with Paul when this letter was written as well. Always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God, for I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and also Hierapolis. And so this crude triangle that we talked about, Epaphras was praying for the people and may have brought the gospel to all three of these cities, but we know he was from Colossae and that he fervently prayed for them. And he was there with Paul when he had written this letter to them. He had a real zeal for this tri-city area, And I keep reading this. They called it a Tri-City. It was called the Tri-City. And I think about where we live. It's called the, what, the Tri-State. We're in this area where we are connected to, well, when I think of Tri-State, I think of Indiana, Illinois, and Wisconsin. Others in Indiana might think of Tri-State and might think of Illinois, Indiana, and Michigan. But we're in this area. And do we have that same zeal for the Lord, for those who are in this area? Are we praying for them? Are we lifting them up? Think about the opportunity that we have to minister and to work through the gospel that the Lord has given us through the technology that we have today. So you don't have to be necessarily near to have the Lord working through us, but you can have a place that set on your heart and to pray for them fervently, as was Epaphras and his zeal for these people. In 1 Thessalonians five twenty-three and 24 Speaking about, he was praying for their perfect and complete will of God to be upon them. Paul would write, Now may the peace of God himself sanctify you completely, that your whole spirit, soul, and body may be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and will also do it. And so we want to pray for people that they would come into this perfection, this completeness that is in the Lord. Jesus Christ. Those of Colossians, their love in the Spirit, he said in verse 8, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So Epaphras declaring to Paul, they have this great love in the Spirit of the Lord. This is the only place in the book of Colossians that the Holy Spirit is referenced to. But it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is not working in the lives of the believers there or in the life of this church. We know from Galatians 5 22 through 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against these. There is no law. The Spirit working in us and working through us, and there was evidence of that. It was testified by Epaphras to Paul, and there was evidence of that then for the church of Colossae, and I hope there's evidence of that here in this church as well. Hi, this is Pastor John. I'm standing here at the pulpit in an empty sanctuary. When we originally recorded the message from Colossians 1, verses 1 through 14, our heavenly hope, the recording stopped for some reason right around this point. So I'm going to pick up and close out the end of the message for us and just picked up my notes from that day. And we have just mentioned these words. Although this is the only mention of the Holy Spirit in the epistle of Colossians. It does not negate the effectiveness of the Spirit's work in a believer's life. In John 14, 17, Jesus said, "...the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you." These promises from Jesus concerning the Holy Spirit's work in the life of a believer. And they continue in, again, John 14, this time verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit's work in our life as our Helper He comes alongside us to teach and to bring to remembrance. We know when the Spirit is working in the lives of believers, Jesus is being glorified. He will testify of me. And finally, John 16, 13, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you, Things to come, and the promise of the Spirit to reveal God's Word as Jesus promises his disciples. And we received God's holy Word. Remember the part of the Bible that we call the New Testament. None of these things had been written at this time when Jesus told these words to his disciples. But the Holy Spirit aided them in the writing of these truths. Whatever he hears, he will speak. He will tell you the things to come. So the church of Colossae, they had a sincere love for Jesus and his people, a love that was fueled by the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Finally, we want to look at verses 9 through 14. I titled this section, In the Knowledge of God. And in the knowledge of God, knowledge helps us to pray effectively, verse 9. Knowledge also helps us to walk worthy, the second half of verse 9 through 11, and knowledge helps us to give thanks, verses 12 through 14. We begin in verse 9. It says, For this reason we also, since the day that we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Paul and Timothy, hearing of the faith of the believers in Colossae, their faith in Jesus, their love for all the saints, their love for the Spirit, caused them to lift up the believers of Colossae in unceasing prayer. I remember a conversation that I had with a brick mason many years ago, who said something like this, you Christians are such hypocrites, singing about the things in your hymns that you never do. And I said, You're right. There are a lot of things that we sing about that we do not do. But I have discovered that the things that we sing about are often those desires that we truly would like to do. And although I may not live up to having the disciplined prayer life that I might dream about, it is truly my desire to have such a prayer life. Can you relate to this desire concerning prayer in your own life? Sometimes we just have this sense that we need to pray. Nobody gives us a prayer request. We just know that something is pulling our spirits to pray. It's the, the Holy Spirit working with our spirit, helping us in this prayer life. I'm reminded of when I was in southern Sudan back in, what year was that? I think it was 2009. Anyways, there was a day while we were in southern Sudan, the temperature that day got up to 126 degrees. And there was a point to where I nearly passed out. I was doing construction missionary work there on the compound, and we were mixing concrete, and I went to pick up the wheelbarrow. And as I stood up, I felt myself getting dizzy, so I sat down the wheelbarrow and sat down myself, and kind of sat out for the rest of the day. But after I got through that event, and I was talking to Lily a bit later, I don't know if it was that day or another day, but we tried to make contact every once in a while while I was there in Sudan. She asked me the time that the event took place, and then she told me that she felt deeply impressed that she needed to be praying for me at that same time we were 13 and a half hours difference in time zone and yet the holy spirit was impressing upon my wife's heart her need to lift me up in fervent prayer the lord helps us to pray in that regard paul requested this prayer in romans 15:30. he says now i beg you brethren through the lord jesus christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. To strive, it's a Greek word that means to struggle in company with or to join fervently in. And I also ask that you would strive together with me in prayers to God for me. And I promise to do the same for you. If we would pledge to pray for one another in this way, I know that God would use us greatly for his glory. Knowledge helps us to pray more effectively, but also knowledge helps us to walk worthy. Again, picking up in verse 9, now through 11, verse 9, it continues, "...and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding." that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to the, his glorious power for all patience and long suffering and joy. Not only was Paul able to pray according to the knowledge that he had been given concerning the believers in Colossae, he lets the church there know his prayers for them. First, that they might be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Second, that they might walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Third, that they might be strengthened with all might according to God's glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy would you like to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding wouldn't you like to walk worthy of the lord fully pleasing him being fruitful in every good work increasing in the knowledge of god and wouldn't it be your desire to be strengthened with all might according to the his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, then I would suggest that you would pray that for others, and you may discover that the Lord will bless you with similar gifts. First Thessalonians 2, verses 11 through 12, it says, As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you walk worthy, Of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So, knowledge helps us to walk worthy. And finally, knowledge helps us to give thanks. Verses 12 through 14. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Paul's thanksgiving pertains to the gifts that have been bestowed upon those who believe, knowing that it is God the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And I am so thankful that my salvation is not dependent on my own qualifications, if it was left up to me, I would never be qualified, and neither with you. First John three one says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God, knowing that it is God who has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Ephesians five eight. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, knowing that it is through Jesus that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Father, we thank you for the teaching of Paul. Here as we begin the study in the book of Colossians, I pray that you would bless the teaching of your word. And Lord, may we truly have this heavenly hope that is found through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
1: Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ.